I think sometimes with companies as well, certainly from a DEI angle, companies tend to think it's one step from a PR disaster. Everything in DEI needs to be a massive PR disaster to then do something. A lot of the time with DEI and how companies can get it wrong is death by a thousand cuts. It's not making decisions, not standing for things, not listening, not actioning, not showing empathy, not giving everyone that sense of belonging. That's when companies start to get reputations and you don't see it coming because it's happened over long periods of time. That's what I mean by the death of a thousand cuts and then you wonder why you kind of trap people. Hi, my name is Nadia Nagamutu, business psychologist, coach, speaker and founder of Avenir Consulting, which creates organisational growth and success via inclusion and diversity. We've been discussing the benefits that diversity brings to a company's bottom line performance for decades with more and more evidence. But there are so many questions organisations still have about how to achieve it. How do you create a culture where people feel valued for their uniqueness and the qualities they bring? I believe it's crucial to the future success and sustainability of every organisation that they find the answer to this question to make sure that each employee is not only supported but also appreciated. With this podcast, I aim to get some of the key challenges to creating inclusive workplaces out in the open and start uncovering the solutions to embracing a culture that cares for everyone. I'm going to be having conversations with some of the most inspiring people in different countries and across industries who are pushing the boundaries on inclusion and diversity in the workplace, from topics such as parenting in the workplace, ethnicity, age, gender, mental health and all things inclusion. I want to create a movement to change society through sharing life experiences and creating more empathy and connection. Why care? I believe that once we have organisations and societies that accept and value everyone for who they are, we become healthier, happier and better in our roles, both inside and outside work. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the Why Care podcast. My name is Nadia Nagamutu and I am your host. In this episode, I speak to Semi Ben Ali, who was recently listed as one of the top inspirational DNI leaders 2022. Semi is the Global VP for Diversity, Equity and Inclusion at Wood PLC, a global engineering consultancy. He has over 20 years' experience in both recruitment and HR operational roles, leading and transforming teams across a variety of industries in engineering, energy and the built environment. Semi shares insights on how to build inclusive leadership in organisations through helping them expand their perspectives and inviting alternative viewpoints. For him, this culture of education, which then leads to engagement and empathy, is critical. Semi challenges the concept of a zero-sum game, that people have to lose out in order to create equity. And throughout is a theme of having authentic, balanced discussions creating an environment where people can share and debate in a comfortable, safe space. This episode is packed with insights, stories and advice. Enjoy. Hello, Semi. It is wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited as well. And I only really just come across each other as a result of Julian Selvi and his team Global Inclusion 22 conference in May, where we were both speakers. And then I kind of sort of hunted you down and politely sent you a message going, oh, I'd love to speak to you. So thank you so much for accepting the reach out. No problem. No problem. Thanks for reaching out. Hopefully I don't let you down. (laughs) You won't. (laughs) Not based on everything I have heard and seen of you to date. So I would love to hear a bit more about your career background, but also how did you find yourself in diversity, equity and inclusion? Oh, so I get asked this quite a lot and um, I think uh, a lot of it is um, 
from my background, personal background, so just give you a bit of context. So my mother is a Scouser, she's from Liverpool, uh, so she's a white Irish Catholic background. And my father is Arab practicing Muslim from Tunisia that came over in the 70s. So they've been married over 40 odd years now. So growing up in that multi-heritage, multi-faith, uh, multinational background, and I grew up in a small coastal town in the northwest of England. So there's all a lot of diversity just within our household as well as outside of the household, large families on both sides. And so that was always something that was um, apparent in terms of difference, difference from cultures, difference from family gatherings, from that sort of area. And then I, I was lucky and fortunate enough to be, first one to go to uni and then I ended up studying abroad in the US for a bit of that and so I travelled a lot to Tunisia to see family but it was really the first time I'd ever sort of ventured off by myself as a sort of young cocky 18 year old thinking I knew everything and then then got to meet international students from all around the world as well as obviously my American fellow students and that was really eye-opening to different and I felt a lack of inclusion at times as well so that really was some real tough experiences but great. What was it about your diversity characteristics? What particular identity did you feel you were in the minority on? Interestingly, when I walked into the canteen, the eating area, because obviously we stayed in the halls, it was similar to, you ever seen those prison films where every all the gangs sort of sit in their own <laughs> section? <laughs> I walked in and that's exactly what it was like. It was really like, wow, this is a bit bizarre. And people from um, Hispanic culture, African-Americans, the sports teams, and everyone was sort of sat in their own camps. And that was fine. I mean, that was like, oh, wow, okay, this, this is what it must be like. And the only table that was <laughs> appeared different, because obviously we've got visible and invisible, the one that visibly seemed different was the international students' table. And so that was really an eye-opener. But interestingly, a lot of people would say hi to me on campus, thinking I was Mexican. A lot of the Mexican population would invite me to talk. And then when they heard me talk, that invite was soon remade. Um, <laughs> I made some good friends there. And so that was a real good early experience. And then I ended up working as part of my career once I left university. I then went to the Middle East and worked and lived in the Middle East for a bit. And again, a huge cultural melting pot. And quite interestingly, similar experience to that. I remember I got stopped once in a meeting by an Emirati actually client who just looked at me really strange and sort of put his finger up to stop me halfway through my presentation. And I was a bit like, all right, okay, um, yeah, can I help you? And he went, your voice does not go with your face. <laughs> and I thought, I, was, I just found it really amusing. I was like, oh, okay, so I just didn't expect you to sound how you look. And I was like, yeah, it's a really interesting observation. And so, again, part of that whole DEI journey of realising that there's visible, invisible, the element of inclusion, not feeling included. And then I worked in recruitment and resourcing and was constantly looking at finding talent from diverse populations, whether it be industry, whether it be characteristics. And um, one of my favourite ever quotes is, talent is everywhere, but opportunity is not. Yeah, that's really powerful. Talent is everywhere, but opportunity is not. Yeah. Yeah. It's about how do you find that talent, where is how do you enable that talent to flourish and shine? And so... I met my then wife out in the Middle East, came back to the UK, lived in London for a bit, uh, joined what was then AMET and became AMET Foster Weeder and then Wood. And now I'm still with Wood, been there for over 10 years, multinational organisation, and worked in the uh, recruitment resource in HR operations space. And then, as with many organisations, they looked at DEI a lot more seriously, uh, you know, so post George Floyd, et cetera. There's little things going on, but nothing really under that umbrella. And then so they advertised for the first vice president of uh, global DEI. 
and uh, I applied for it and, uh, and uh, luckily yeah, I was successful and so I've been doing that for a year and a half now. What I love about that story is, of course, you have a professional background in HR and I get that. But at the same time, apart from your lived experiences, obviously, you didn't have professional background and experience in DEI specifically before you got that role. Because it is a really young profession, there are many people out there who don't have a lot of experience specifically in diversity, equity, inclusion and move into that space. So it's wonderful to hear that it's possible to move into diversity and inclusion, especially a particularly senior role that you moved into. What was it that you were able to bring to the table at that point that demonstrated your competence, for example, in diversity and inclusion that made you able to get that position? I think it was more from understanding, obviously, the social justice content and element of it, but also the business element of it, you know, the business case of the year, which we obviously all heard a lot about. It's been able to fuse that together and say, okay, there's a wide spectrum here. You know, there's people of whom it's the right thing to do and organisations should be doing it to be reflective of society and cultures and teams and communities within which we operate, absolutely. And then there's the other side of the spectrum where, like, you know, scales should be set, where people say, well, what's the business case? Why should we be doing this? You know, and then the links to retention, attraction, innovation. And so what I was able to do is call upon my own personal experience, but also my experiences within HR when it comes to recruitment, to retention, to business strategy, to be able to say, this is a key differentiator. This could be a competitive advantage, not just a inverted commas, nice to have. This is a need to have, and this is how it can become possible. And this is how it can become a competitive advantage, a key differentiator, as well as something organisations should be doing. So I think it's looking at it holistically. And that's what I want to try and bring to it instead of that narrow focus on just one area, very much looking at it holistically and, and how it can all come together. Yeah. I'm interested in your take on inclusive leadership. Let's talk about 20th century leadership for a moment. How does 20th century leadership align with the concept of inclusive leadership? Where it differs and where I think leadership has gone or going, and certainly where I see it now, compared to how it was, was and certainly from my early career, it's less of the command and control, having all the answers, being the smartest person in the room, having the experience, the years, the stripes, etc., and less of that vulnerability and authenticity and curiosity that you see now in terms of today's leadership. Because the world, it may not have always been like that. It might have been heightened through social media and how we're more connected than we've ever been. But it certainly seems much more complex in terms of access to information, things that are happening, things that are entering your general space that we never have, have realised before. So to really step into that space as a leader, you can't have all the answers. It's impossible. If we were good at everything, we wouldn't have teams. And so, you know, if you're good at everything, you just do everything yourself. So now it's about, for me, inclusive leadership is showing that vulnerability, showing that, do you know what, I don't have all the answers. But I'm willing to find out. I'm willing to ask the questions. I'm willing to step towards that discomfort. I'm willing to put myself out there to say, well, you help me, I help you. Let's all help each other. And not from a nice fluffy way, but from a point of view of how do we improve? How do we get better? How do I show what's important to you can be important to me as well? And I think less around hierarchy, more around, it's a great comment that I I'll just bring this up, this gentleman that joined us from Indian background, uh, joined us in the Norway office. Him and his family moved uh, just before COVID hit. 
And he's got one of the best networks in the organization. He's got like 35,000 people. And he used technology. And what he said was, what I tend to not concentrate on is hierarchy, but more hierarchy. I think that shows the difference in generations and using email, using Yammer and chats and getting on the internet and using technology to find things out, be curious, make connections, less around formal meetings, formal one-to-ones. Do you say wirearchy? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, wirearchy instead of a hierarchy. Okay. He was just literally emailing vice president, senior vice president, hi, I'm new, what do you do? <laughs> and it was, it was just great, so refreshing. Yeah, exactly. He was like, I don't care what your title is, I want to know a bit more about this company I've joined. Sat in my home office in Norway. You guys got one of the best networks in the organisation. It's so true. Just look how we met, right? It was possible for me to contact you because I saw you there. I had your email address. And yeah, there was an element of boldness around what my action. The worst case scenario, you wouldn't have replied and that would have been that, right? But it is possible now. These people who we see in the media, in book authors, they're all out there on social media And we could extend our network so easily, both within our organization and beyond. And of course, we come to that concept, and we speak a lot about this around people's inner circle and how to broaden it actively as an inclusive leader. And it's so critical, I think, because particularly exacerbated by social media, where you follow people who think similarly or are similar to you. And of course, then that the brilliant algorithms churn out and say you you know follow this people first person you know this person that person and of course they're all aligning to your world view so what I love about what you've just said is that it's so easy because people often say oh you know what I'm at capacity I don't have time to actively extend my circle and it's so easy to even if you spent a couple of minutes just reaching out to people who you possibly wouldn't have reached out to in your organization before actually it can be done I think that's a great point. It's one of the things I forced myself to do about a year or so ago. Is, uh, I read someone else do it, was to follow people that think totally at the other extreme, whether it be whether it be political, sports, whatever. And I still follow those people because I know that I might not necessarily agree with them 100% of the time. But there's about 5 or 10% of stuff that makes you think, oh, actually, you know what? I never really thought of it from that, from that point of view. And then it makes me think, and that's what I said to encourage in our organisation to say, Read a book that you would never even dream of picking up or watch a film you would never even dream of watching because you think that's not really for me. Just watch it, just give it a go because I guarantee you'll get something from it. I think it'll reconfirm your idea of, yeah, I don't like it. Or, Do you know what? I wasn't that bad actually. That's made me think about some, maybe watch a box set now or maybe I'll follow this person. That curiosity. And the one thing I didn't mention was empathy. I think there's some research recently around the skill of the future in terms of leadership is certainly empathy and I totally agree with that being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes uh, I think is, is, a, is a real key in terms of leadership going forward. So let's talk then about some of the barriers you've mentioned a few words around what inclusive leadership requires so we've spoken about vulnerability we've spoken about empathy we've spoken about courage I'm interested what then acts as barriers for leaders stepping into that space there's a few things. One of them is obviously fear, fear of making a mistake and misstepping. We certainly hear more around this, you know, cancel culture and people getting piled on. I watched a brilliant video of um, Chubb Noah the other day about Lizzo when she brought that song out with the word. He did a great video around the balance of it because she obviously went and made the change to that word that was found offensive, but then people continued to pile on and use that as an excuse to virtue signal. 
So I think if we get to that space, it's really dangerous because then people are afraid to make those mistakes so they just won't step towards any sort of dialogue or learning. So it's about that, for me, that psychological safety of saying, we will make mistakes, everyone makes mistakes and we're always learning. No one will ever complete the AI. Don't turn around one day and go, I know it all. It's all done, it's all finished. I get it. And so it's about presenting that platform. Ask a question because some people don't care if it's a silly question as long as you ask the question. Sometimes that's just the heart of inclusion, showing that interest. But for some, that's easier than others. Some people want to be really confident about asking something before they'll ask it. And so in turn, sometimes never do. And so what we try and do is certainly create a culture of education to say, here's something we can talk about. Here's a subject that you might not know a lot of, but do it in a way that creates engagement, not doing it in a way that will create barriers to make it more difficult. And what I mean by that is I I tend to use the analogy of if me and you were talking about rocket science in a room and we had this really complex equation upon the wall, someone walks into that room and we're there scribbling away. That's not a very welcoming room for someone to come into and learn about rocket science. We've not done anything wrong. We're just talking about it at a real complicated level. Yet someone's come in the room that has not that level of understanding. So for me, the inclusivity piece would then to be turned around and say, okay, well, what do you know about rocket science? And even let's get a detergent bottle and talk about simple basic physics. It's meeting people at the right entry point to say, okay, well, what is your understanding? What is your way of learning as well? And to take people along in that journey with you. Because if you're constantly this, is how you must think about this subject. This is what you need to know as the minimum. And you start setting a load of ground rules or become quite aggressive in the topic. All you're doing then is really preaching to the converted, creating echo chambers. And everyone's really happy in that echo chamber. Everyone's high-fiving each other. Aren't we doing a great job? This is great, isn't the word brilliant? And then you've got a silent majority or a load of other people outside of the proverbial room going, oh, that room isn't for me. Even though I want to get involved in it, I don't feel part of it. So I'm going to, I'm going to take the easy route and step away from it and let them continue. And again, it creates that us and them mentality. As you're talking, I'm starting to think of an example that I came across fairly recently in one of my workshops where she was an only with regards to her ethnic background. It was an inclusive leadership program. So inevitably, we dial up their curiosity, we dial up their open-mindedness. And, and so her, the rest of her colleagues were starting to kind of be more curious about different lived experiences, but also they're going out in the world and thinking, oh, I just said that. Is that okay? And then going to her to check in with it. How is it possible to strike that balance between creating a culture where people feel safe? You mentioned psychological safety there. So safe to be able to ask a colleague, you know what, I'm thinking about this and I'm not quite sure. And to allow that sort of expression and that ability safely to say to someone, I know this is just your perspective, but what's your view on this particular language versus using that particular person as highlighting their onlyness? I keep going round and round in circles on it because it, it only emphasizes her onlyness, the fact that now her colleagues are going to her, asking her views, asking her opinion, asking her to share more, which is what we want, but then might have a detrimental effect too. Definitely. I think it's a great point. And what I should always try and say is do the work. And what I mean by that is before you start approaching people and saying, what do you think of this? It's better to come from an angle of I've read about this or I saw this. My opinion is this. 
but I'd love to know your take because then it's not a free flowing all up on your shoulders. You know, it's not like when we do Hispanic Heritage Month or Black History Month, we're very careful not to say, right, okay, let's roll out all our African-American colleagues and put it all up on them to tell us. It's like, no, this is about learning for everyone. So, for example, when the mass racist shooting in Buffalo that happened, I was very conscious of how our African-American colleagues would be feeling at that moment in time. The last thing I wanted was for those individuals that are, and certainly a, a lot of them within the networks that I'm very close to, I didn't want them thinking that it was on them to say something constant. And it's same with a whole host of other topics that could be the same. So that's where allyship comes into it. It's aligning with groups that are different from your own. That's truly what allyship is. And so you can sometimes feel you're doing a term of allyship by going to that person and saying, oh, you tell me all about this because you must be our resident expert in X. And I get, and it's about positive intention, absolutely. But at the same time, do the work yourself as well. So what I heard there was that a bit of reading, a bit of thought behind it, approaching someone with your perspective on it and inviting their view. So not saying, oh, this happened, what shall I do? As if they're the all-knowing, all-being African-American person in, who will know the answer to this or whatever. That makes sense. So what do we do about this backlash issue? Because it does happen in organisations and we see it, I hear it quite frequently, where it's quite a lot of concern from the sort of DEI HR professionals who are leading some sort of initiative and going, do you know what, I keep getting particular people who these programmes aren't for them. Yeah, they sit in a majority group of whatever nature. What do we need to do as DEI professionals, do you think, to help people get over that zero-sum mindset? Zero-sum mindset, in essence, is, you know, for, for Nadia to prosper, it means Sammy has to miss out. So it's that, okay, well, we're doing these things for Nadia, so that means I'm going to have to miss out on that. And I'll give you an example of when we mentioned around our gender goals a couple of years ago. In an engineering and technical organisation, as you can imagine, quite mathematically, analytically inclined, we had a lot of the population say, oh, hold on a minute, I've just been to the org charts. And that means then if we're going to say 40% senior female leaders by 2030, by my calculations, that means 90 roles now need to go to females. And so straight away, it was looking at what exists now and replacing and so the conversation, which is, it was good that they felt a sense as individuals to act, this is my concern, because that's really important. We need to hear that. And so the conversation then moved on to, well, think about the mindset of why does it have to mean replacement? Why can it not mean growth? So what I mean by that is the org charts you're looking at, why can't the org charts then become bigger with more boxes on them by 2030? because we end up growing and be more successful as an organization because we have more diverse teams, we have a more inclusive culture, we become more innovative, we have better retention, attraction. So again, it's taking the tactics, linking them to strategy, but understanding how DEI can weave throughout that so that everyone, but it's absolutely a key issue and key topic because sometimes you can be looking to do inclusive initiatives that in turn are exclusive. So you have a population that says, okay, well, that's not for me. Okay, but where's the root of that? Why do you not think it's for you? And then how do we create the conversation, that sense of belonging to say, you still play a key part in that. You might not be a member of the LGBTQ plus community, for example, but you are an ally, you want to learn more. So we might be doing something for the LGBT plus community, but that doesn't mean we don't want you to be part of it, part of what we're trying to do, part of the learning, help be an ally. 
And what we also look to try and do, and what I see a lot of, is not necessarily because I think the the original point was around pushback and, and people lashing out in terms of it, is not necessarily calling out, but sometimes calling in. And so sometimes what we try and say is think about the situation. Is it the right time to call that person out in front of lots of people? If the intention is positive, if that person is obviously being crass, racist, etc., then obviously, absolutely, I'm not talking about that. What I am talking about is in terms of someone making a misstep, someone saying something that you just think, really, what are you talking about? They're the learning points. They're the signposts in the road for that person's journey. You can either get them to carry on and really engage in, in, in the initiatives or that is the point where they really close up and then say ha yeah see this isn't for me i knew it all along and then you just remain a skeptic and so examples of if someone says something in their room that's probably not the best time to go oh my god i can't believe you said that that's you just massively offended me that's just ridiculous you did say this that and the other this is and it's like okay well for what end why would that have been the best what about taking it to the side? What about having a conversation as a one-to-one, whether it be online, have another call? And by the way, just wanted to pick you up on something, just wanted to let you know, this is how that made me feel and why. But I'm telling you as this is a one-to-one because I know that your intention wasn't to do that. And we've had lots of, of instances from people in their personal lives where they're like, you know, I, I said this once and then I got a load of people at a party jumped on me and I've never bothered talking about it since. And then what we're doing is, again, we are creating lots of echo chambers, either purposely or consciously or unconsciously. That isn't inclusive in itself. We've lost that ability to debate sometimes, certainly in social media that exacerbates we have to be on one side of the fence or the other and one extreme to the other and no way shall we meet in the middle. That's where things go wrong. It's about that ability to agree to disagree sometimes as well. It does feel like that. There's so much in what you just said, but it does feel, particularly with what's going on in the world, like let's just take a step back for a moment and look at the bigger macroeconomic environment. Pandemic, okay, so that was massive and had a huge impact from a diversity, equity and inclusion perspective. Obviously, the political instability, I mean, we've had a prime minister recently resign, obviously, in the UK and with Brexit before that. And for things in America with Trump and obviously Russia and Ukraine and the war and the impact of that on the rest of the world, that gas and oil prices, the cost of living increasing and how that's really polarizing conversations around the haves and the have nots. Changes in legislation, you look at America and Roe versus Wade. I mean, I'm just reeling off a few here. This is just the tip, isn't it, of the iceberg? Yeah. Particularly from a psychological perspective. For me, we go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And you you kind of, as soon as you start getting lower and lower and people feel more threat to survival, as we lower down the fundamentals that we need to survive, like human behavior typically just goes a little bit skew, let's call it. As diversity, equity, inclusion specialists, professionals, do we need to be thinking about what additional things and should be on the cards that we're putting in place, action we should be taking, things that we should be just reflecting on? I think you hit the nail on the head around survival. I think a lot of it boils down to survival. That certainly I've seen play out over over the past few years of having these conversations, talking around initiatives or taking actions, the automatic response then is, okay, what does that mean for me? Irrespective of who you are, what does that mean for me? You know, I've got a wife, children, boyfriend, girlfriend, house to pay, 
you're threatening that. If you're perceived that someone is threatening that, then you are going to act and behave in a certain way. So what I always try and do and think of with a lens of this action, what will that mean for certain parties? What angle will they come from? And I think what we try and do is, is have that balance. And it's an easy thing to say, but it's a really hard thing to do, is to have balance in discussion, balance in communications, balance in terms of, for example, Roe versus Wade. Yeah, Lots of organisations, including ours, batting backwards and forwards. Okay, how do we tackle this? What do we say? How do we say it? Where do we say it? Because what I'm not a fan is being performative. Far too many organisations and individuals are trying to be performative and don't and you scratch beneath the surface and all of a sudden there's not much below the layer. So it's about, like again, going back to that inclusive leadership, it needs to be authentic, it needs to be felt. I guess, yeah, performative versus authentic. Maybe expand a little bit on how then you can demonstrate as an organisation your authenticity. I think it's an action. So what actions are you taking? So you, instead of making a statement, okay, anyone can make a statement, what then actions are you taking? And then understanding those actions are not going to be received well by everyone acknowledging that as well to say listen you might not agree and we understand that we understand that you don't agree but this is the reasons why we are taking these actions because of x y and z it's again it's that agree to disagree and i try and describe it by saying right at the very start of my dei profession saying everyone this is about everyone has a seat at the table and some people might not agree that everyone should have a seat at the table or even a voice at the table yeah but that's your prerogative. But this is what we're saying it is. And it is that everyone has to see the table. And then it's about creating that culture to say, okay, why do you not feel that everyone deserves to see the table? And if that isn't for you, then maybe it's best elsewhere or we have those conversations. And so it's about, you know, almost having the non-negotiables as well. But having that debate to say, we're not going to agree on everything all the time. And that's fine. The stuff my company does, I don't necessarily agree with all the time or my boss and, and vice versa with me. And that's fine. That's life. Same with my relationships, personal and professional. So we need to get in comfortable in that space of not going to, and I think that's where we've lost a lot of it. And it's easy to do certainly behind social media, like you say, the algorithms, they prosper off conflict. They prosper off disagreement. Yeah, that's how they work. And so we fall into that trap of, no, Nadia, you've said that and that's completely wrong and that I'm not even going to budge. That's a loss for everyone. That's a loss for me in terms of my thinking, my mindset, and same for you. And so it's about, let's have the discussion and go, do you know what? Okay, I understand why you made that decision. I understand why you've come up with that statement and you've been clear. Okay, I don't agree, but you're not threatening me. You're not threatening my survival. It's not personal against me, but you're taking action because of X, Y, and Z principles. So some really clear lines that the organization sets around what their expectation is and being open and saying this might not be something that you agree with but this is our line as an organization more than ever i think we've got the most generations in the workforce ever I was reading from and so what that brings with it is a level of complexity as well as well as the intersectionality of all the different characteristics specialist groups etc what we're seeing more than ever and what i'm certainly talking to our senior leaders about is more than ever individuals want to know what does their company stand for? What does their manager stand for? And anything, companies now are a microcosm more than ever of what's happening outside of organizations. Gone are the days of, I'll leave my thoughts, feelings and passions at the door and I'm coming in and I'm going to be semi in work today. And when I leave, I'll be semi at work. Those days are gone. The sands have shifted. 
that is really difficult for where a company to be and as a leader as well but that is what people expect now that is what employees expect and again they won't all agree but at least you stand for something at least you're putting the line in the sand of okay this is our thoughts and feelings and ideas and why and then people can make up their own minds because i think sometimes with companies as well certainly from a dei angle companies tend to think it's one step from a pr disaster everything in dei needs to be a massive pr disaster to then do something a lot of the time with dei and how companies can get it wrong is death by a thousand cuts is not making decisions not standing for things not listening not actioning not showing empathy not giving everyone that sense of belonging that's when companies start to get reputations and you don't see it coming because it's happened over long periods of time that's what i mean by the death of a thousand cuts and then you wonder why you can't attract people that's why you wonder why people are leaving their drugs or you've got a lack of representation in certain areas I'm totally with you. And I love that sort of signposting to organisations, that fear of diversity, equity, inclusion and, and having a line, that's what's going to be your downfall, not actually having a line and standing by it. I'd like to touch on your the word to virtual background, which says educate, empathise and engage. And we've spoken a little bit about this anyway, with regards to what you're expecting from inclusive leaders, from their behaviour, their proactiveness in educating themselves, being empathetic, engaging with different people. Have you seen through the work that you've done, either inward or even outside of work, but just have you ever seen uh, come across a leader who's done a complete U-turn in their beliefs? They've suddenly got it. They thought they were that cynic. You mentioned cynicism before. They were the cynic. And then all of a sudden, they've just, something's dropped, pennies dropped for them, and they're totally with you. In honesty, I don't think I've ever seen anyone completely 180 U-turn because I think when we get to our age and experiences when you pass on your teens and your 20s, I think it's hard to suddenly 180 on, on certainly in the beliefs element. However, absolutely, I start to see pennies dropping and light bulbs going off with, with, with leaders across the business inside and outside when they start to put the pieces together and the dots together of realizing this isn't just about gender or this isn't just around for one underrepresented group or this is about alienating one group over the other and acknowledging equity and equality. I think when you start putting it together of how it's needed, how it links to, to business as well as, again, I go back to that scale of the right thing to do on one side, all the way to business performance on the other side. What is their entry point what's going to hook them up as an individual what drives them because there's no point in me talking to someone who's not had the same lived experiences on a level of mind because you don't know what you don't know this is what i always say so you can't hold that against someone if they've never had exposure to it why would they necessarily think about it in the same or certain way as me so for me i've seen it where someone's gone ah do you know what i never even thought of that and then it's about not making them feel bad the fact that they've never thought about it. It's about saying, yeah, well, why would you? Absolutely. I've had so many conversations like that. It's just like, I just never thought about it that way before. It's like, and that's okay. That You shouldn't feel guilty about that. This isn't about making you feel guilty or ashamed of something you've said in the past or done in the past. But now you can do something. Exactly. So acknowledging it and then being, yeah, doing something different with it as you go through. I think one example that did stand out was on one of our live webinars. It was a video from the US. And one of our senior VP from the US, he's a white male, middle-aged male, he wrote, and he wasn't an aggressive tone by any stretch. He just said, this isn't the America that I know. 
if he was watching this video unfold, it was around the unconscious bias, it was around the code and look. And straight underneath his comment in the chat came from an African-American lady who said, this is absolutely the America that I know. Okay. And so it wasn't around either them were right or wrong. It was that that was their experiences. They end up then have a reverse mentoring relationship, which has been great and that's prospered. And so it's understanding because they never, certainly from the male point of view, had never had the experiences, and why would he, of his African-American uh, colleague. And so it was about him saying, God, you know, I didn't even know you had these experiences, hence my comment around that. And same for her, I've never had your experiences. So again, it's that empathy, putting ourselves in each other's shoes to go, do you know what? Not necessarily saying mine's better or worse than yours or right or wrong, but it's been different, but at least acknowledging it and taking action as to why we are taking action. So why we are looking to diversify the talent pool. You know, things like that, you know, when the mentality around diversifying the talent pool, sometimes people think that's diluting the talent pool. And you're like, where's that coming from? You know, car insurance, do you stick with the same car insurance provider every year? No, why not? Because I want to get the best deal possible. Right, so how do you know you're getting the best talent possible if you're not diversifying the talent pool? So it's, again, it's those analogies, storytelling, getting people to click. Because, again, going back to that rocket science, if you're talking up at a real high level, in some instances, a load of research, you're totally missing your audience. Hence why empathy, you know, in terms of educate, but do it in a way that creates engagement and creates empathy. That's why we have the three E's. The three E's, yeah. And I'm completely with you. Just towards the end of our conversation now, but before we close, I'd love to hear, given Wood is in the STEM industry, and we know there's a huge number of challenges, STEM-related industry challenges. And I'm interested in a little bit of insight into what you're doing, some of the maybe successful initiatives you've put in place from a DEI perspective that has allowed Wood to progress in some of those challenging areas. Yeah, like you say, there's massive challenges. I mean, we do a raft of things because what works well in the UK might not work well in Australia, might not work well in Canada, etc. So uh, we do different things. There's amazing organisations that we partner with, one of them, the Association for, for Black and Minority Ethnic Engineers. So um, give a shout out to Ollie Falayan and Nike Falayan. They, they do a brilliant job of that organisation where, for example, we did an activity with them of a mock interview and a mock assessment. And what was important to do before we did that was with our hiring managers and our internal people to say, you might not have an understanding that if you don't, for example, the, the research shows that if you don't have an Anglo-Saxon sounding name, you have to send eight more CVs just to get a response. Again, it was, a, well, I never knew that. Yeah, why would you? You wouldn't. Yeah, but now you do. So a lot of these individuals that you're going to be doing mock interviews and mock assessments with, this might be their first ever experience of doing that, maybe for a long time. So let's make the most of it. Let's give, again, talent is everywhere, but opportunity is not. So it's about, right, so this is an opportunity to help and reach areas that we might not necessarily get to as organisations. And it's, again, it's going wider than the usual universities, wider than the colleges, it's going into primary schools. We do a lot of work with indigenous populations in Canada, getting them into the construction industry. We do things with coding for technology in Melbourne. We've even got a STEM network. It's one of our employee resource groups which we're really trying to get our arms around all the great things we do out there as an organisation, but we just don't know about it a lot of the time. I get to all these things and go, oh, man, I didn't know we did that. But it's going out into our communities and, and showcasing, this is what you can do, this is what you can be, this is where a STEM career can take you. But I've got a lot of friends and family that are teachers, and it's you know we obviously all know that we need to engage much earlier 
you know, into the primary schools and colleges. So you know, that's what we do. We have toolkits to go in to be able to do exercises, that type of thing. But for me, it's also partnering with organisations that are doing some fabulous things in those areas to say, we do videos, for example, we did one last year for um, International Women in Engineering Day, where it was a guess what job I do. It was showing the ladies of, um, of certain parts of our business, showing these women, they were doing their own activities away from work and said, can you guess what I do? And then it, then it showed them at site, showed them a, you know, a wind farm or a gas petrochemical site as well in the office. So again, it's just uh, busting those stereotypes and, and, and myths. And that's why representation is important. It's really important. And some people don't understand that if people look up in an organisation or look into an organisation, don't see someone that looks like them, that has a big impact. It does have a big impact. Absolutely. We're just coming to the very end. I have a final question for you, if you are able to answer in like a minute. As long as it's an easy one. <laughs> I, don't, I think it's quite a big one, actually. So apologies. Let's see. Okay. Any insight as to what's coming up next in the DEI space? If you're a DEI professional out there, what ideally should you have your eyes on that you might not be already in the next kind of 12 months i think um massively to cultural intelligence so what i mean by that is dei has been very much a uk us centered in terms of nomenclature terms uh, etc and so what necessarily works well in the us and europe might necessarily work well in other parts of europe asia australasia africa south america so for me that's what's coming it's about understanding what does inclusion and diversity look like in those areas you know there's a whole raft of complexities in lots of different other countries so there's that and more alignment for me to ethics i think there's a, there'll be a big alignment to ethics as we go forward so for me the big area is about and I think similar to, without going off on a tangent a bit, climate change in terms of that, that discussion has been very Western-centred and not really hearing the voices from undeveloped nations saying, hold on a minute, you've been on the industrial journey for hundreds of years and now you're giving us climate targets to hit, saying that we're the biggest emitters and producers, yet we haven't actually for many years. So it's about having, again, that balanced discussion. Absolutely, climate change is a, is a massive issue 100% and same with DEI but what it looks like for one part of the world and certain countries different elsewhere so you need to have that balanced discussion to really really embrace what inclusivity looks like because otherwise you're just putting your own lens on someone else's. Thank you so much Semi for all that you have shared I mean this has just been a doubt I could talk to you all day Because there's just every time you say something, I'm like, I'm connecting it to so many different things. And I could just easily have a conversation with you ongoing. So thank you for everything you've shared. Really enjoyed our time together today. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. That concludes episode 26 of the Why Care podcast. Talent is everywhere, but opportunity is not. I love this quote, and it really speaks to the inequity in our society but also what organisations are missing out on by not taking action. Please let Semi and I know what you thought of today's show. You can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter with the handle at Nadia Nagamutu. As always, I really appreciate your support of this podcast through leaving a review on whatever platform you're listening and spreading the word by sharing it with your friends and family. Huge thanks to Mauro Kenji for editing this podcast and John Rice for supporting with the show notes and getting it out there on social media.